So I'm going to speak to you about wisdom today. And if I was to try and do justice in myself to even the sum total of human wisdom through the ages, I, I just couldn't do it. It would be an impossible task to try and speak to you about human wisdom in such a short space of time. Beyond that, I, I want to talk to you actually about the glorious wisdom of God Almighty. And I want to ask you, because some of you may not even believe in God, but if, if God is real, and if God in his wisdom has created everything known and unknown in the heavens and upon the earth and the earth itself, how on earth do you do justice to his wisdom in any length of time or in a book or anything else? Well, I want to start by just reminding you um, or telling you of a promise that God makes in his word. It's a promise that is really clearly summed up in a, the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 5. But it's actually throughout the whole Bible. The promise is this, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God and God will give that wisdom to them uh, liberally, generously, without finding fault. That's written in the book of James, but it's actually, it is the theme. It's one of the themes of the Bible that anyone who seeks God will find him. That God by his spirit will lead us into all truth. That God will teach us all that we need to know about him and life and everything else. And so I want to invite you, even as I talk to you, I want to invite you to seek God for yourself. If you know him, you can speak to him. If you know him, uh, if you know Jesus, you can ask him for wisdom. Even as I speak, ask him to open the eyes of your heart. Ask him to give you wisdom and understanding. The spirit of God is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you don't know God for yourself, then I, I want to help. Uh, I want to help you whether you know God or don't know God. Um, but if you don't know him, I want to help you to understand something more about God's nature and his wisdom. Um, but I want to I say that God's wisdom is for you. That the whole story of God and his interactions with men and women and children on the earth is that who he is and what he has, he wants to give away. And he's done that most clearly in the person and the life and death of his son, Jesus. He does it through the Holy Spirit that he gives to every believer. He wants to do it today. And if you'll call on him, even as I'm talking to you, if you'll call on the name of Jesus, he will give you wisdom. He'll give you understanding and he'll show you who he is and what he's like. As I said, I want to help with this as well, um, it's amazing that God will teach us himself through the spirit and through the word of God. You can read the Bible for yourself. Um, he also uses people like me in his wisdom uh, to help us along the way. And so I'm going to read just three short verses from the book of Proverbs, chapter three. Um, this is a book, if you're not familiar with it, it was written before Jesus by King Solomon. King Solomon was a, a king who across the whole world and throughout history is known for being a wise king, a king of great wisdom. And this book of Proverbs, is a collection of writings, uh, mostly written by Solomon, um, but not all of it, but mostly written by Solomon. And, and one of the great themes of it is wisdom. It talks a lot about practical wisdom for day-to-day -day life. Um, but these first nine chapters, we're going to be in chapter three, are all about wisdom as a subject uh, and contain deep truths about wisdom and God and man. So I'm going to read these three verses, uh, verses five, six, and seven from chapter three of Proverbs. And Solomon tells us this. This is how you can walk and live in wisdom. He says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I'll read it again for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everything you are. This is uh, very similar to the great commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment that any human being can try and live by is Deuteronomy 6.5, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. It tracks with these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and then your understanding, and then your ways, which is your strength. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everything you are, commit it to God and trust him. Don't lean, don't put any weight at all on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and God will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Father, I want to ask you, uh, in your great wisdom, Lord, for all that we get wrong and right, uh, but mostly wrong, Lord, for all that we do on the earth, you have committed yourself to human beings, Lord. You love us. You bless us. You fill our lives with good things. Even as there's great suffering on the earth, Lord, you hold out hope. And at the heart of your interactions with men and women and children on the earth, Lord, is this great gift of wisdom. It's a part of your nature, Lord. You are glorious in wisdom. I want to ask you as we look at these verses together, Father, would you speak to us about the wisdom you have that caused you to give your son Jesus to us, that caused you to crush him and crush sin in him so that not just he would be raised to life, Lord, but anyone, even some of those listening, Lord, anyone who believes in the name of Jesus, who calls on the name of Jesus, Lord, in your wisdom, in your love and your grace, in your kindness, Lord, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus would know you, would be saved, would be raised to eternal life and would have, Lord, all of the goodness that you are, all of the wisdom that you have. Lord, these things are ours when we believe in Jesus. So give us more wisdom, more understanding as we look at these verses together. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage begins, trust in the Lord with all your heart and and. It ends just these three verses with this thing of fear the Lord and shun evil. And I want to tell you that true wisdom always begins with God. This bit at the end, fear God and shun evil, uh, it recalls Psalm 111, a very, very famous verse about wisdom in the Bible. Most Christians will know it in some shape or form. But it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's because from an earthly human point of view, wisdom always begins with wonder and with humility. It begins with awe at the world around us. If people don't believe in God, even the great philosophers, the great scientists of our day and and days gone by, they would say that true wisdom begins with a humble appreciation of how small and finite human beings are. I think Socrates said things like um, that wisdom, true wisdom consists of knowing how little you know about anything or wisdom begins with wonder. Even the scientists of our day would look at the, the sum total of life Um, on earth around us and acknowledge that we know very little about it, even the workings of our human body. True wisdom begins with humility and knowing that there is far more we don't know than we do know. That's true of creation in all its complexity and all its wonder. It's even more true about the creator. If, as all of creation suggests, there is a creator, then to, to to begin to understand how much more powerful how much more wise and intelligent he must be than us is the very beginning of wisdom. And yet, what is amazing to me, I, I, I um, often say this simple phrase, God is amazing. And it's a really personal phrase to me. It's an amazing phrase to me because I don't say that objectively. It's not a truth I've learnt or gotten out of a book. It's not a truth I would have said for any part of my life growing up, uh, but it's a truth I hold very dear to my heart. And God is amazing because in himself he's amazing. We're we're looking in this uh, preaching series at the different attributes of God, how incredible he is in love and justice and mercy and wisdom and all these things. But even more amazing to me is not just that he is those things, but that he allows us to know him 
and to know these things about him. And so as, as incredible as his wisdom is, and, and as I say, it's so incredible that even the creation itself, even, even my human body, our human bodies are not fully understood by the scientists of our day. God's wisdom is so phenomenal and yet it's accessible to us because God's wisdom is inherently practical. Later on in Proverbs, in chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Solomon tells us that wisdom was created as the first of all God's works before his deeds of old. Wisdom was created as the first of his works. And so God's wisdom is seen in creation around us. This stuff that makes uh, even humanists wonder and marvel at, at these things in the world that make people marvel, these are evidence of God's heart and God's wisdom. It's why in Romans we're told that God's invisible qualities, this is where you start to see that God's wisdom doesn't always make sense to human ears at a first reading. Because Romans says, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, one of the first Christians who spread the gospel around the world, originally someone who hated Christianity and thought it was foolish, thought it was crazy, thought it was blasphemy, um, but in the wisdom of God became one of the greatest kind of uh, ambassadors for Christianity. He wrote to the church in Rome, and he said that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen. This is the wisdom of God. His in invisible qualities are clearly seen in what has been made. And so God's wisdom is the, it exists to uh, bring God in contact with his creation. And you find wisdom at the point at which God interacts with his creation. God is good, his wisdom is good, and it is eminently practical. That's why at the beginning of this passage it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, because God's wisdom is good and God's wisdom is practical. And because it's practical, God's wisdom grows in us. We begin with God, we begin with acknowledging him and how small and finite our understanding is. As we start to look towards God and as I say, even as the world looks towards creation and we start to acknowledge that there are things out there greater than ourselves, as we start to look to God, wisdom begins to grow in us, but it grows in us through experience because wisdom is inherently practical. In fact, it grows through experience. It often grows through failure and hardship. And that's why Proverbs 3 verse 5 goes on. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. I love this. This is, this is Solomon acknowledging that human beings have been given a measure of understanding. Understanding is a thing. We have understanding. It's a gift from God. But Solomon is saying it doesn't bear any weight. It's not solid. It's not trustworthy. And to understand that, we need to go all the way back why it's not trustworthy, why it's not solid, why we're not to lean on our understanding. We need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of human history and Genesis chapter 3. Now, I don't have time to read the whole story out to you. But you'll read in Genesis chapter 3 how the first human beings living with God, he was, he was visiting them in the garden that he'd created for them. They were starting to understand more about who they were. They had a self-awareness that was full of innocence and life and love. And then they ate this fruit. And God had said, "Don't." there's a tree of life, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the tree that he said, you're not to eat from it, you will die if you eat from it. But in Genesis chapter 3, you'll read, that as they were deceived, they were told that they wouldn't die, but that the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil would make them like God. They believed the lie, they ate the fruit, and this knowledge of good and evil was taken in by Adam and Eve, the first human beings. Now we know the story, if you, if you know the story, if you don't know it, I'll tell you that this gave birth to death. They turned their back on the Creator. Uh, even Romans 1.25, it says, of the whole human race, 
that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and began to worship created things rather than the creator. They took this knowledge of good and evil into themselves and it gave birth to death, but it also gave birth to two imposters, two things that set themselves up as wisdom, alternatives to wisdom that are no wisdom at all. And those two things are rooted in the knowledge of what is good and what is bad, opinion and preference. Here's the problem. Human beings were created to know good and evil, not at all. To know God, and God, knowing good and evil, would be our guide through life. He was, he was Adam and Eve's guide. He told them what to do, to name the animals, to look after all the earth. We can see human beings have dominion over the earth. We have power and authority over the, the earth like no other animal. It was a gift and grace of God. We were supposed to exercise that authority over the earth through our, our relationship with God. He, know, he knows us. He knows the earth, knows creation. We don't need to know anything else. And when human beings took that knowledge of good and evil into themselves, it was a knowledge that we weren't ever meant to carry. And it, it blows my mind. I grew up not knowing, not believing any of this stuff was real. I thought it was the stuff of fairy tales. But now all around me and all around the world, you can see the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil basically bearing fruit in our lives. It, 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 it's rooted in the fact that each of us carrying this knowledge of good and evil, we're not equipped like God to deal with it. And so our opinion of things and our preferences, one person to another, vary massively. If you took a sample of 100 people, even from the same town, even from the same church or the same community and asked them about a number of different options, you'd have 100 or more different opinions. Sometimes people have more than one opinion. They can't make their minds up. But this knowledge of good and evil is not, uh, it, it's not held well by human beings. We all have different opinions, different preferences. It's why we need courts of law. It's why we need the police. It's why we need speeding speed limits on the roads. It's why we need prices for things and you have stock markets and all of these kinds of things because humans on their own will all have a different opinion. About Opinion is basically what I think is right and each human being has a different preference and, a, and preference is what I want to happen. And because of that fruit in us, each one of us tries most often to live our lives through opinion, what I think is right and wrong or through preference, what I want to happen. And as I said earlier, these things, because of the variety of opinion and preference in the human race, they are not strong, they're not solid at all. And as Solomon says, we're not to put our understanding in them. As you start to read the Bible, you start to see even more how crazily bankrupt opinion and preference are because God's wisdom as revealed through thousands of years of history is completely at odds with what most people would think was right or would want to happen. If you look at some of the earliest stories, Noah building an ark on dry land. God says, build this huge boat. I'm going to send animals to you. I'm going to flood the earth. Well, Noah built and built for weeks and weeks in plain view of people around him. They would have mocked him, laughed at him. There's no water. There's no rain. It looks like folly what he's doing. And yet it's the wisdom of God that allowed the human race to continue when the floods came. You look at other great uh, men and women from the, from the Bible, you'll see the same theme time and time again, that there is an obedience to God and there's a wisdom that God calls people to walk in that looks crazy to the world around them. Even Abraham, God says, leave your people and follow me into who knows what. He made Abraham some promises about his descendants, didn't give him a whole lot of information and detail. And Abraham would have looked like a fool throughout many, many of the things. He told him to sacrifice his son and then at the last minute, provided a ram for him so that Isaac was spared. Throughout Abraham's life, God says to him, this is my wisdom, walk in it. 
when the whole world would look at him and say, that's crazy. It's true of Joseph. It's true of Moses, Elijah, Elisha, King David. When you get into the early church, the first Christians living after Jesus, and you see that some of these men and women sold their houses, they sold fields. And throughout history, the last 2,000 years, many millions of men, women, and children who follow Christ have gone to their deaths because they refuse to deny him. And they will go to their deaths being killed for saying that Jesus is Lord of all. This looks like complete folly, complete craziness to the rest of the world. And yet God says this is his wisdom. Our opinion and our preference will lead us one way. God's wisdom will often lead us another way. (coughs) The clearest example of this, without a doubt, is God's plan for saving the human race through Jesus. Now this is a story that is celebrated around the world every Christmas time, even by people who don't believe in Jesus. All around the world, the, the whole world stops almost to remember this story. And yet from human, a human point of view, it makes no sense. Almighty God, who is greater than anything he's created, holy and pure, becomes a baby. In fact, not just God himself, but one of the three persons of God God's son becomes a baby and is born in a manger. He's rejected. There's no place for him in the inn. He grows up in obscurity. His mother even is seen as someone who, who has become pregnant outside of marriage. It's a, a, a killable. Um, they could have stoned her for that offense. So he's born in infamy. He's born in poverty. He grows up in obscurity for 30 years. Nobody knows about him. And then for three years, he declares that he's God. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He goes from town to town, healing the sick, driving out demons, provoking anger in the ruling authorities, the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities. He says that he's God. He says that one day he will come back to judge the living and the dead. He says that only by believing in him can anybody know God for themselves and have eternal life. And for his troubles, he's flogged mercilessly. He's, he's whipped. He has his beard ripped out. He's beaten. Uh, he's mocked. He's dressed up in a, all sorts of fake king outfits. And then he's nailed naked, hands and feet, to a cross. And he dies the same death as thousands of criminals died at the hands of the Roman Empire, alone and naked, beaten to a pulp on a cross. It looks like complete, complete folly to the eyes of the world. It makes no sense. Worse than that, it's a mockery. There there are men and women, even in our generation, who have made careers that, uh, that have included mocking the Son of God. His name is used as a swear word. In, in every human sense, and under the verdict of opinion, human opinion and human preference of what they would want, and what they think is right or wrong, the good news of Jesus looks like complete folly. And Paul, that same uh, guy I mentioned earlier, he writes about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says the wisdom of the cross looks like foolishness to men and women. And yet if you follow the story through, not just in the Bible where you see after, at the third day with his disciples in disarray, totally frightened because their leader has been murdered. You see women at the tomb just mourning him because he's gone. But you see that God raised him from the dead. Not just then, not just in the next few days and weeks when he reappeared to his disciples and taught them that what he had done, they were going to do because he was going to go back to his father and send the Holy Spirit. Not just on the written pages of the Bible, but on the pages of our hearts. If you spend time with Christians who have met Jesus for themselves, if you, if you spend any time with anybody, I've seen um, even in the last year again, I think year upon year since I've become a Christian, I've seen friends and family 
find Jesus for themselves. I've found true life in him, myself. My life has been transformed by this same Jesus who we crucified and who God has made Lord and Savior of the whole human race. You start to see the wisdom of God look so crazy to our eyes, but the fruits of it are so amazing. It's incredible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that wisdom is proved right by her children. What looks crazy to human eyes will eventually bear fruit that is just glorious. If we're going to talk about God's glorious wisdom, it is this, this glorious sight of his son dead and broken, lying on a cross about to be pulled down by the Romans to be buried in a tomb. It's that this death where Jesus cried out just before his death, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's that this death has led to my life and the life of the thousands and millions of people who have believed in him since. Wisdom is proved right by her children. Let me be honest with you. Man's wisdom is phenomenal and we live in an age where that's never been more apparent with um, technology, industry, aviation, farming, medicine. In any way you want to look at it, mankind's opinion, mankind's preferences, mankind's gifting and uh, capacity for learning and experimentation has led us to an age and a civilization that no one in previous generations would have ever thought possible. Let's be honest, mankind's wisdom is phenomenal. But let's, if we're going to be that honest, let's also be honest that still all across the earth is poverty, inequality, crime, environmental concerns like someone like never before. God's opinion on our preference is very clear. God's opinion on, on, on our opinion is very clear. In response to what we think is right and wrong from that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, God says in the Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, that, but it leads to death. And not one of those achievements that I've mentioned of mankind exists without some form of problem, corruption, complexities, complications. We can't get it right. And his verdict on our preference of what we want, well, we find that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus went to pray before he went to the cross. And with all the authority and the grace and the power that Jesus had, he knelt before his father. He looked ahead at the, the moment he was going to die, the moment he was going to become sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He, became, he knew he was going to become sin and be forsaken on the cross. He looked ahead to that moment and he prayed, Father, if there is any other way to do this, Lord. And then he said, not what I want, but what you want be done. Man's wisdom is incredible, but it's not leading us. It's leading us into more and more trouble. And so God's verdict on our opinion is that there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. His verdict on our preference is not what I want. For us to say, not what I want, but what you want be done. God's wisdom is altogether something else. It often looks different. It will often lead you to act and speak in a way that other people don't understand. They don't get. But the fruit will be amazing, even immediately. James, the guy who said in James 1, in the letter from James, it says, whoever lacks wisdom should ask God and God will give him wisdom. In James 3, it says that the wisdom that comes from, from above, the wisdom that God sends, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. God's alternative to our opinion and our preference is to give us living wisdom 
from himself. And, and I want to talk to you finally just about the adventure of obedience because this is where we'll find wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the, the acknowledgement that there is a God who is far greater than us is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom grows in us through experience, through practical experience as we learn, often through failure, that our opinion and our preference will not lead us anywhere of note. It grows in us and true wisdom is, is found in him and in this adventure of obedience. Look, it goes on. In all your ways, submit to him. Submit your opinion to him. Submit your preference to him. In all that you do, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. How do we do this? The wisdom of the cross has given us in this generation and in every generation since Jesus the greatest opportunity to know God, to know his presence, to know his love, to know his wisdom and his verdict and his opinion and his preference. It says in the Bible, things in the, in the New Testament, my sheep know my voice, I know them and they follow me. John 10 John 6:45 Jesus says he says that as it says in the scriptures they will all be taught of God. John 14 Jesus promised that the spirit of God would lead us into all truth. God says that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ everyone however young they are in in the physical terms however young they are in Christ however far off we were before we called on the name of Jesus when we call on the name of Jesus we can know God for ourselves. We can have, the Bible says, the mind of Christ. We can know his thoughts. We can have the heart of Jesus. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Do you not know that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit? We have the same heart as God when we walk with God and when we believe in Jesus. There is something that Jesus unleashed on the earth through the Holy Spirit, through his death and resurrection. There is a freedom to know God, a freedom Hebrews 10 says to walk into the most holy place of God's presence, to hear his voice and to know him, to keep in step with him that no generation before Jesus ever knew. We've got a greater invitation than any of those Old Testament guys, Noah, David, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha. It sounds like blasphemy to say it, but the least believer, the newest believer on the earth today because of the Holy Spirit on the earth, because of Jesus' sacrifice, which is removed from us, everything that might stop us experiencing the love and the grace of God. Because that's all gone, the least of us can know God moment by moment, know what is pleasing to him. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, find out what is pleasing to the Lord. We can know what is pleasing to him. We can walk in step with him, walk in fellowship with him. And we don't have to seek wisdom as an abstract thing, but we can know wisdom in God himself. And I want to give you a couple of practical pointers about how I do this day by day. I'm not alone in this. This has been the the practice of, of Christians through the ages, but it's the most glorious adventure to never ever be apart from God. Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 7, he's recorded as saying to his disciples, they were getting upset because he was talking about a time when he wouldn't be with them physically. And they were upset about that. They loved having Jesus around. And he said, I tell you, it is good for you. It's even better for you that I go. Because if I go, I'll ask my Father and he will send you the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit in me means that I am never, ever, ever without Jesus, without his voice, without his guidance, without his presence and without his wisdom. When I ask him for wisdom, he will give it to me. Sometimes it will be in the Bible. Sometimes it will be from a friend. Often it's just him speaking into my heart it over overtakes my opinion and my preference and it's just 
it's the reason I'm laughing is because I, I still can't believe how good it is. It is extraordinary. I tell my friends who don't know God that God is my best friend and my guide, that he leads me into all the stuff of life. And to them, it looks like folly, but they can't deny the fruit of what God is doing in my life. They see it and they ask me more and more and more about how I live. So I want to share that with you um, and then I'm going to pray. Here's the thing. We've been given in our age again, uh, John Piper, a great American teacher, once said that he, wept, he weeps over his iPad and iPhone. I want to say we have got the most complete um, account of the Bible, the Word of God, that any generation has ever had. We have it in the original languages to study. We have it at our fingertips on your phone or your iPad on the internet. You have it in print form. Multiple, many of us who are Christians all over the world have multiple copies of the Bible. And the Word of God is essential in knowing God himself. Now, Jesus was really clear. We need more than just the written word of God. He said to the, the priests of his day, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you will have eternal life, but you've missed the one that they're about. You've missed the fact that I am the subject of the scriptures. Now, we need to not make the same mistake. We need the Bible, the word of God, but we constantly need to use it to help us to find the one about whom they are written. The Bible is incredible. It's a guide for your feet and a lamp for your path. Psalm, uh, Psalm 119 verse 105 says that. And I want to tell you that the word of God, it, it gives you guidance. Uh, it stops you moving. It gives you parameters for life. And it will stop you walking too far to the left or right, too far straying from the true and safe paths of God. It's living and active and it will work in your heart. Psalm 119 again says, I've hidden, my, hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. We need to eat and constantly read the word of God and allow it to transform our mind. It's incredibly important that we just like children almost keep reading and reading and reading this wonderful text, but it's not enough. We also have the spirit of God and the word and spirit work together. The word of God, even Ephesians says, is the sword of the spirit. They're indivisible except that they, uh, one is in print form and one is the spirit written in our hearts. Even as I'm saying it, I'm just remembering 2 Corinthians 3 says that the letter alone kills, but the spirit gives life and it's the spirit who makes us competent. It's the spirit who gives us wisdom. He is our constant companion. And Paul, again, writing to a church in Galatia, he says, if then we live in the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And what that means, what the word of God being a lamp to our feet is that step by step, the word of God stops us from walking too far to the left or right. But keeping in step with the Spirit and, and submitting in all our ways to him, acknowledging him, some of the other translations of Proverbs 3 say, in all your ways acknowledge him, is to know him moment by moment. He's here now. He's with anybody who turns their heart towards him. He says, when two or more of you gather in my name, I'm there with you. And to submit all your ways to him is not to do that in some abstract or uh, academic sense. It is to seek the very presence and face of God. Psalm 27, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. It's to taste and see that God is good. It's to open your ears to him. This was Jesus' blueprint. Jesus said in John chapter 5, 19 and 20, he said, I can do nothing by myself. So for all the wisdom Jesus had in himself, he said, I can do nothing by myself, but I only do what I see the Father doing. The Son does everything that the Father is doing because the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he does. And he will show you even greater things than these so that you will be amazed. Hebrews 5 says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. His whole life was about following God moment by moment. It meant that what he did was really hard to track that the wisdom of God looked like folly again. He called 12 disciples to him. 
and other men and women. He spoke with prostitutes and tax collectors and hang out with them. He scorned the religion, uh, the religious kind of leaders of the day and the authorities of the day. He did that with, with humility and with love, but he scorned them. He even rebuked them at times. Everything Jesus did doesn't look like wisdom in the eyes of man, but was total wisdom. And he did it by keeping in step with the Spirit of God, always training his eyes on the Father, only doing moment by moment what God told him to do. It meant that he called some to be with him. He told others to go and tell what he'd done. Still others, he said, go and don't tell anyone what I've done. He was silent before Herod and others, but he spoke loudly and boldly before the priests. He went and made a whip to drive the moneylenders out of the temple. You cannot create a formula for living like Jesus, except this, that he did exactly what he saw the Father doing. And so in all your ways, submit to God, not in the abstract, not through what your opinion or your preference of God is, but through knowing him in his living word and through the spirit of God that he gives you when you believe in Jesus. That is true wisdom. And to finish even more simply than that, if you're ever lost and wondering what should you do about any situation at any moment, the two great commandments that Jesus spoke about from Deuteronomy 6 um, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your strength. It maps with Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Your understanding is your mind and your soul, your will. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, which is your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. And the second, he said, drawing from Leviticus 19, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know, Jesus said that true wisdom... And the true kingdom of God is found, we will find it and we will be found in it when we are like children. Matthew 18, Jesus brought a child in front of his disciples and said, unless you become like one of these. Uh, I want to leave you with this thought that true wisdom, if you'll believe in the name of Jesus, you'll believe in this crazy life and death that he died, he lived and died for us. If you believe the truth that God himself became a man and died for our sins so that each of us could know God no matter what we've done or where we've been or how we've lived, that you can know God for yourself as your father, your friend and your guide. If you'll believe that, then these two simple rules, these two simple laws will help you through God. What does God want you to do? If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. You can't just obey the Bible. You need to know what Jesus, what the spirit of Jesus is saying to you moment, to moment by moment. And so true wisdom is to find out what is pleasing to the Lord, to ask God right now, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when he shows you what to do, and he'll speak to you in a variety of ways, but he will make his voice and his will known to you. When he tells you what to do, you do it with all your heart and you do it in the most loving way possible to your neighbor the person right in front of you or the people right in front of you at that moment. If you will practice those two things throughout your life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength, moment by moment, moment by moment, constantly practicing his presence, constantly speaking to him, constantly listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. If you will do that and obey him in, in as loving a way as possible, speaking and acting and serving whoever is around you with all the love that God's give, God gives you, you will make disciples you will save souls. Another proverb, he who saves souls is wise. You will save souls. You will point people to Jesus for themselves and you'll know what it is to walk in true wisdom. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for this gift of life, Lord. 
John wrote something in his letter. He said, whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Father, I have many friends who would just think that's a crazy statement, that it's foolishness to believe. Uh, Lord, that statement is life to me. Because I have found abundant life, Lord. The abundant life of John 10.10. I found it in Jesus. I found it through the Spirit and in the Word of God. I found it, Father, in your love. And I know that true wisdom is found in obedience to you. Father, I pray for myself, for the church around the world, around the UK. I pray for anyone who's listening, Lord God. Would you spur something and fire something in our hearts? That we would truly lay down our lives moment by moment. Truly submit to you in all our ways. Truly die to opinion, to preference, Lord God. Those two uh, love commands, Lord, they help us to take our eyes off ourselves. Do not be wise in your own eyes, it says in Proverbs 7. Well, the best way to, to actively shun sin and actively take our eyes off ourselves is to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Jesus, you are our wisdom. Help us to fix our eyes on you and to do all that you tell us to do in your name and for your glory. Amen.